everybody. It's time for our 10.05 panel with Trevor Hall, Tony Greer, and Craig Perry. So we'll move right along. Um, I'm Jessica Leventhal. In case anybody hasn't met me, I'm um, the founder of Precious Metal Summit. And thank you all for being here. Um, pleased to introduce to you today our panel. Trevor Hall is known to many of you as the CEO of Clear Commodity Network, and he's also host of the Mining Stock Daily podcast. And it was through listening to his podcast that I learned about Tony Greer. Tony, who is sitting immediately to my left, your right, is the founder of TG Macro, which is his independent research firm providing fundamental and technical analysis to institutional clients and his subscribers. And we're also joined by Craig Perry, whose notes I left off. But Craig, what I do remember is that you're the founder of Inventa Capital, and you're the CEO of Vizsla Silver and Vizsla Copper. You have, you have, um, you have been a CEO, director, and founder of a number of successful exploration companies, and very active in the space, and... It's a pleasure to have all three gentlemen here today. I'll leave it to you now, Trevor. Thank you, Jessica. And uh, appreciate uh, you helping put this together. Uh, it's really a shame we only got 45 minutes because I know both of these gentlemen pretty dang well. They've never met before, and i got to be honest with you, you're in for a treat because they're both cut from the same cloth, and anything will be said in the next 45 minutes. So hold on. <laughs> Um, it's, it's, it's a real pleasure to be attending. I believe this is my fifth or sixth Precious Metals Summit. Uh, this is my first time presenting on a panel, and so I'm really thrilled to have both of you on. I consider you great colleagues and friends and uh, just a big admirer of the success you've both had. Uh, obviously, you've made multiple appearances on the podcast as well. But here's the tricky thing. So we got Tony over here who follows the big macro, the markets, the big picture stuff, he knows where risk capital is and where it's going and why it's not here in this sector. And we got Craig here who would do anything to get some of that risk capital. <laughs> anything. And so that's where we're going to start. I want to talk, let's start it with you, TG, about obviously markets continue to move. We're in a really bumpy spot here in the major indices. There is some volatility, some cracks, some fragility, if you will. But where is risk capital, that generalist risk capital, going right now? Um, we found a new religion in the equity markets in the form of AI, right? So there's a lot, a lot of equity flows have come into artificial intelligence, semiconductors, still big tech, right? That's where the the market people have been saying that the market has largely been driven by the seven biggest tech stocks which can you can make a case for but they aren't the only stocks driving the markets they are attracting a lot of you know the the hottest money flows are all going into technology if you look at the chart of equity flows from this year it's a set of uh it's a set of shark jaws from the flat line where we've seen nothing but massive inflows into the AI and technology space and massive outflows out of the energy and smaller outflows out of the gold miner space. And, you know, right now it's about buying divas and selling dogs. 
you know, and the dogs are the, unfortunately, the metals and mining space that have been underperforming the markets. You know, they have a very specific, you know, sector and function in the market, but they are not attracting risk capital in any way, shape or form right now. So I think that we're going to have to see, I don't want to take the floor for too long, but it's going to be a matter of time to figure out what inning of this AI religion that we're in. You know, we just came out of a recent religion where we blew cryptocurrencies to the moon. We had, um, you know, bored apes trading at outrageous valuations on the internet. And you look at that and you're like, wow, there's another set of mania going on right there. Those bubbles popped. We had the NVIDIA AI discussion and everybody went running into that sector. So we're going to see what inning uh, of that, that we're in of that religion type of investment. But that's where all the money's going. Craig, you've seen a couple cycles before. I mean, is this like a similar battle you've been through seeing money flow into a lot of, uh, I, 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 you know, just some craziness and not going into the commodities and metal sector. Yeah, uh, well, it, it's, I don't know, this time it feels a little bit different. I suppose this sort of downturn started in 2013, really, and it's been going for a bloody long time now, 11 years. Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen it quite as bad. I know sort of 2013-14 felt pretty bad, but... Um, and, and as Tony says, you, you know, there's AI now, there's so many other competing places to put your risk capital, that little bit of risk capital that does go into the market. Cryptocurrency, of course, we had the weed stock boom. Um, that all sucked money out of, you know, the natural home for it, which has been mining traditionally. So there's so many different competing areas. And I don't know, you know, the only way it's going to turn around, I think, is if we start making people money. Um, you know, we're doing it a little bit. Some discoveries still matter, but uh, but but really, you, you know, we haven't done a great job of making investors money over the last ten years. So it's something big's going to have to happen before we see money come back in a big way. And maybe this is a, a great question, Tony. Like as a generalist, what would be something, maybe a catalyst or an event out of the mining sector that would get somebody like you to wake up one morning, start typing your morning navigator and be like, holy shit, I need to get this in front of my readers? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, perhaps if there was some kind of an AI attachment to gold, that would get exciting. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but literally, that's, that's, you know, it's like one of those things where you attach .com to your business 20 years ago and the thing went flying and you attach AI to your business today and it goes flying. So to you know, think more rationally about what would come out in gold. To me, it's not about... You know, gold, gold's got no CEO. It's just a rock. It comes out of the ground, right? So there's no spokesman for it. And I don't really look for headlines in gold. I look for headlines around the world that make me say, you know what, I need more gold. You know, and I talk to uh, my, my consulting business. I speak to a lot of fund managers, portfolio managers, um, family offices. And one of the things that rings really loudly to this conversation now is when I speak to one of my family offices, he's, you know, and talk about where we should start moving some money. He's always like, all right, what are we doing here? Are we buying a performance or are we buying a dream? You know, and I very much, uh, um, I associate with that as a trader because I'm always looking for a performance. I, you know, I won't lie. I sit down at a computer screen every day and I try to make money in the equity markets. I try to make fresh donuts. That's kind of what I do. Um, and it's very hard to get people excited about talking about gold miners because the performance isn't there. And you could say, well, I mean, if I had NVIDIA last month, I was up 30%. You know what I mean? What did I get if I was long gold miners last month? Down 80 basis points. That's not fun for me. You know? And so that's just the tail of the tape a little bit right now. And you know, we go through cycles where gold can sort of perform and 
kind of almost hang in with what I call the sort of risk complex, which is like, you know, oil, the NASDAQ, cryptocurrency. And then there are times when it just falls out of favor, and I feel like that's where we are now. Craig, what about having discussions, you know, from Inventor Capital and the companies you always work with? And the previous panel had a similar conversation about kind of changing the way we communicate by changing the way of the people who we communicate with. Like, we're at this conference, and you and I, we see – I would say 90% of the same people we see in the last five years. Tony's new, but how, what kind of conversations do we need to kind of transition to show the value incentive to somebody like a TG or a generalist? You know, because we, it seems like if we're in the, these doldrums of junior mining, that those conversations need to be happening now because this is where those 10 baggers start to happen, the foundation for it. Yeah, uh, look, I, I sort of, if you look at, it's a tricky tricky thing to be in this, you know, investing, particularly in the junior space, and this is a hell of a long way to come to drink beer with your mates when we could all be seeing each other in Vancouver, but people are here. Jessica just told me that uh, this is a record attendance for this conference, 1,400 people, so fabulous outcome there. So this sort of interest keep creeping back in, and I think, you know, I look at, at, at the market and, and investment in this market from a personal level, you know, I look at the macro and I try and pick where, where things are going. Um, but but the thing you're looking for are discoveries, things that really make a difference. And, and I, I suppose we have seen some successes on that front in recent times. Uh, I think that will draw more money from generalist investors, but we're not seeing it at the moment. You know, I look at, you know, when we seed up, I think Inventor Capital, we've got 26 companies now, 12 of them are listed. And when we seed that up, we find it very hard to find people to put money in at those earlier stages. So that's a bit of a circle jerk. It's just us putting our own money cap risk capital at serious, serious risk because, you know, the chances of one of these things getting off the ground are pretty, pretty bloody slim. Um, and then, you know, we go to a broader market across Vancouver, Australia, the US. Uh, and then the next stage of investment is really getting in, into and talking to some of the institutions that are here today. Um, you know, that take, that's a couple of years to go through that process. And you hope you make a discovery or acquire an asset cheaply along the way. Um, but we just haven't seen that generalist money come back. There's a few sort of green shoots. I know my business partner, Mike Connett, he based himself in uh, New York for all of June, um, and there was some interest emerging, but there's a fair degree of cynicism as to how to make money in this industry and, how, you, you know, where it's heading next. So, uh, again, I think something has to change. You know, people talk about, and I think uh, Emily King on the previous panel was talking about a, a big discovery. She's hopeful there's going to be a big discovery this year. Well, there's been a few. You know, you look at Philo, that's now a $3.2 billion company. You look at, um, I was very happy to have invested in a thing called Patriot Battery Metals. That went from about sort of $20 million to $2 billion here in the last uh, 18 months. So there's been money made and they're sort of headline-grabbing types of discoveries, but you're still not seeing the money flow back. So I don't know that that's going to work. I think um, what we really need is to see commodity prices really take off uh, and some of these other things fall over, you know, some of the, the, the money in other sectors. Um, and when that's going to happen, I don't know. I know it will happen. It's a cyclical business. It's happened before. Yeah, I've seen a couple of these things. Um, it feels like it's coming. It feels like it's building. I think metal prices are about to go, to go through the roof. So I, I reckon, um, you know, the next couple of years, you don't want to try and time the market and uh, you want to be in there now because I think we're, we're about to see a real change, particularly on the macro picture and metal prices. Yeah, I just, I just want to add, I think that, you know, Trevor, when I think about 
how, are you, how do you sell this stuff, right? Like, that's the question. If you're sitting on an equity desk and your job is an equity salesman, it's like, okay, dude, go sell junior miners. You know what I mean? And I, while I would be sitting there pulling my hair out trying to figure out what would the best points be, I would definitely start with, you know, the macro background of, you know, can we just talk about the fact that the Fed doubled their balance sheet during the pandemic in one print, right? Can we talk about the fact that we printed 80% of the dollars in circulation in the last three years, Right. Like there's your macro backdrop for gold. Right. Like if it does, I don't know that if it gets any better than that. And then you complement that with, you know, the exciting mining stories. Like, you know, you told me about the lithium deposits and things that go into electronic vehicles. I think that'll attract capital. And then maybe you get the metals complex, you know, on the move and at least with some exciting momentum. You know what I mean? Like, hey, look at this lithium mine you can invest in. Here's a molybdenum mine. You know, here's this and that some specialty plays related to electronic vehicles and stuff. I think maybe you can, can create some sizzle with that type of thing. Yeah, you better be careful. You better be careful. Craig's going to have a copper project to sell you here. Yeah, soon. Exactly. <laughs> uh, speaking of copper and base metals, I, I do want to ask and get your sense on the Inflation Addition Act. I mean, Reduction Act, um, because it did provide a spark in these battery metal type segments of the industry. Uh, we can have the conversation about copper. Obviously, necessary long term. There's supply demand fundamentals that remain very bullish on the long term. Um, but, I mean, Tony, do you think that uh, the the IRA provide a little bit of spark for, you know, people on Wall Street in New York to start thinking about how we are going to supply these metals if the electrification of the vehicles and infrastructure is actually think because I know you can you can compartmentalize things like well government says we're going this way and you can you can have your opinions about government but I got to be honest with you I really think the market itself the consumer is doing most of that driving that's just my opinion yeah you know I, I think it's a combination of that Trevor I feel like the inflation quote reduction act is something that kind of replaces consumer spending in some way right and like you said it drives consumers toward the areas of the market that the government decides that it wants to drive us to and the unfortunate thing about that is that the governments force you to place value where the markets aren't right and they're kind of forcing capital into this area and that's never a good sign so you know i'm not sure how to play it out the one thing that i do think is coming is that we are going to be battling excessive inflation. And so, you know, I don't, or at least I don't think it's going to be going away. So what I would try to be thinking of is how to get people to, you know, change the allocation of metals in their portfolio because of this, you know, and that's kind of, I don't know if I answered your question directly, but that's kind of the, the tack that I'm the way. But, I but you're, you're a trader at heart, man. Like yeah. I read your, I read your stuff every, every morning or, you know, a couple times a week when you publish it. And at the heart of it, you are a trader. You watch the chart. Yeah, that's how you play it. But I've never seen your long-term investment thesis, and I'm wondering if you could open that up because I think some of the people in this room probably follow you yeah. and know you as a trader. But what is the long-term investment thesis in commodities of oh. Tony Greer? Man, you know, I, I I would still go back to the Fed balance sheet story. You know, I still look at it as hard assets are going to have to be more valuable over time. The problem is, is that they haven't been as exciting places to put your money. Right. So that's the problem that you're facing is that you're not just get you just not getting the performance there. If you want to build a case to have hard assets, it's all about the decreasing purchasing power of the dollar. And that's not 
that's an easy story to sell, but it's also a little bit of a difficult story to tell against a rallying dollar index, right? Like, to my, my opinion, the purchasing power of the dollar and where the dollar trades against other com- currencies are two different things, right? Over the last 20 years, the purchasing power of the dollar, or call it since 18, uh, 1971, we came off the gold standard, right? The purchasing power of the dollar has been straight down. That hasn't been the direction of the dollar, though, right? Because we're trading in a currency basket against other dump trucks, essentially. So that's where the you know flows go back and forth. So what, how do I get back to the original question, Trevor? Well, your thesis, your uh, long-term, long-term thesis investment. on hard asset. So that's where it comes from. You know, it, it's from constantly losing purchasing power in the dollar and being able to point to gold and silver where over time they've retained their value. Yeah. To me, that's the sale. That's the long-term thesis. You know, because the, the, the short-term trade is hard. You know, you want to sell people, people copper. It's like, hey, this is going to be a necessary input to the electrica- electrification of vehicles. Look at nose diving inventories at historic lows and they're like okay show me the copper chart now and you're like ah, i don't want to talk about the copper <laughs> chart right now the <laughs> copper chart let's talk about the idea first you know so that's yeah, the, yeah. those are the problems so, craig I, n- I know you're not allowed to be bearish uh you're you're a geologist eternally optimist and you love your projects every single one of them you love all of your companies but i gotta ask you what keeps you up at night what is the bearish the bearish idea that maybe is that devil on your shoulder that you know you maybe are concerned about in the short or midterm. Yeah, yeah, I've had the the pessimist gene removed. Um, <laughs> the uh, keeps me up at night. Look, maybe we got this all wrong. Maybe metal prices aren't going to take off. Um, you know, it's taking a long time here. Like you, you know, we've been in a a sort of perfect setup for a few years, and we really haven't seen... We've got a good, solid gold price, of course. Um, copper price, not too bad, just hovering below 4 bucks there. But um, uh, what if we're wrong? What if copper's not going to 30 bucks like I think it is? Um, gee, it's going to be a painful industry, and we should have gone into property development or something, use our AI. Um, but as a geologist, you can't do that. I, that so that worries me. Um, and I, there's no, it's not based in anything sensible or any data or anything. I, I, I don't think we have it wrong. I think um, we're about to go through the biggest mining boom the world's ever, ever seen. Um, you know, it's a perfect storm. You talk, you, you, you've got the sort of macro picture, these inflationary issues. You've got um, a lack of spend on exploration and development over the past sort of 10 or 11, 12 years. Um, and that includes for permitting. Permitting's become much harder. Winning community and First Nation support, incredibly difficult now. Everything takes a lot longer. I, you know, I was involved in Next Gen Energy and started that company with Lee Courier. And um, Christ, I thought we would be in production from Arrow by now. Well, it's still probably five years out. Um, it just takes a hell of a long time. So you've got the, the you know... The, the macro inflationary environment you've got this challenges around the industry itself and then you've got the the demand drivers that are coming which are the likes of which we've never seen before now people laugh when i say copper's going to 20 or 30 bucks um but there's recent uh, precedent for this um when i moved to chile with rio tinto in 2002 the copper price was 71 cents we had to put it in our models diminishing at a cent a year to infinity um and uh, and we missed a lot of opportunities, particularly in iron ore at Rio Tinto, because of that attitude. Um, by the time I left Rio Tinto in two thousand and seven, the copper price was four dollars sixty. So it went up five times over six or seven years. 
Um, I think it's set to do that again. And that the drivers for that, of course, were largely a, a giant but localised effect, the urbanisation of a good chunk of China's populace. Um, this time around, it's a global phenomenon. You know, the electrification of the planet. I think one of the things that you could see coming up in the next few years is as the grid gets challenged, you know, we were talking about um, before about blackouts in South Africa, blackouts in California. You know, at some point a president in the US is going to have to say, we're going to have to rebuild the entire grid. That's when copper goes to 20 or 30 bucks. And I think it's within the next 10 years that ha that happens. Um, so I'm, look, whilst I'm a bit worried that we got the timing wrong on this, I don't think our thesis is wrong at all. We're going to yeah. go through a huge boom. Right. That's one of those things where you can be early and not wrong. That's not always the case in trading, right, Tony? Well, let me ask you, uh, I, I do want to ask you one question. We are, I do want to open the floor for questions because uh, Craig's got a sprint here in 20 minutes to give an actual another presentation, so I want to make sure we give enough time because hopefully there's questions. Uh, you mentioned China. Uh, and obviously, that has been a headline story the last couple of weeks, the volatility, the economic fragility out of China. The interesting data point out of that, the, China has, continues to be a large consumer of iron ore, keeping your Aussie buddies afloat. And if there's any one commodity that surprised the hell out of me the last couple of weeks, it's been iron ore. It's not something I follow closely. But I, I, I guess I'm basing the question on these headlines out of China – given whatever it is that we know out of that country, is is that going to provide some more headwind in the commodity sector until we get clarity of what China is going to do in regards to if they can stim put another some more stimulus behind that economy or if Xi's going to stand there and be like, we're actually going to let a business cycle roll through. So that's I guess that's my question. It's a big question. Do you want me to have a go at that? Yeah. Um, I, look, I worked in China for two years for Rio Tinto um, and uh, enjoyed it thoroughly. I wouldn't be in a rush to go back, given some of the things that are going on nowadays. But um, the uh, one thing I learnt while I was there is that the Chinese Communist Party can't afford to lose social cohesion. Uh, and the only way to do that is to continue to make people wealthy and grow that middle class and make people people richer. So I, I think, um, and they have the capacity to do it, there will be business failures along the way, but you see this um, uh, recently, the, the I think it's, uh, I can't remember the name of it, something Garden, um, you know, was about to collapse. Well, they've refinanced that money from the government's come in to do that. So they're showing their hand there. Um, so I, I see anything, out of the, any, any of these struggles... Um, within China and coming from China, probably short-term things and, and not 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 to worry too much about that. The the macro picture remains the same. The longer-term picture remains the same. Yeah. You got any thoughts, Tony? Uh, I'm not a biologist, but I, when I look at China as like a sort of trade partner, like I agree with Craig that it doesn't it doesn't seem like at any point it would behoove them to step off the gas, you know, and not have that fixed investment constantly flowing through their economy. If they have the power to do it, and it loses them so much social credibility if they have a steep pullback in the economy and kind of bury them bury everybody economically it doesn't seem like that's the path that they would be taking given their character in the markets that's all well we we've seen we we've seen the relationship between the u.s and china fray even last week uh chinese going out and, and banning government officials from using iphones that was huge i did some just very simple rough estimates at least i think that's about 110 million people in the government that 
a majority of them use iPhones, I would assume. That's that's rough estimate. So take that off of I, Apple's books. This is not the Apple iPhone 15 launch discussion, by the way. Um, but that's huge. But my but my my follow up question is like it it won't stop there. It's not going to stop with an iPhone or an iPad. Does it get to a point where the refining process that we're dependent on for China to refine metal that 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 could be another leg in this early days of a cold war between East and West? And what does we the West do about that? Do we have the guts? and the ball is to go out there and build infrastructure to refine the metals we, we mine. That's a, that's, a you, that's a you question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, it's a great question. Um, yeah, China's shown the paved the way there completely, and I think um, it's interesting that some other countries like Indonesia are insisting on if you want to exploit a deposit there, you need to build refining capacity in the country. So that's showing the way. I, I always thought that was ridiculous, but I now see what they're trying to do, and I think it makes great sense. Uh, in the West here, China, uh, US, Canada um, and Australia, we're not thinking like that. We're, we're getting it wrong, badly wrong. And I think, um, you know, if heaven forbid it was to blow up into an actual real bullets and guns and, and, and weapons type of war, we're hooped. You know, we, we're going to have to build smelting and refining capacity very, very quickly. Well, we should be doing it now. And I know people are thinking about this. I think um, one of the things I would have said just, just you know, uh, optimistically is that thankfully in our industry there's always a boom going on. Someone's making some money somewhere and people are making money in lithium right now and discoveries are really getting re-rated in lithium. So that's great to see. And I think next coming next is probably uranium. But I know the lithium guys... Again, a little bit driven by sort of Elon Musk and visionary types of people are thinking about, all right, well, we need to build refining capacity in North America now. Um, but but where's the investment coming from for it? I think, you know, absolutely, we, we must have more copper refining capacity. I think we're down to one or two smelters left, you know, the trail smelter in BC. So it's wild that we've let... Um, the, and, I, and I think it, it, it comes to a challenge that we have with democracy, you know, and, and election cycles is that no one's encouraged to think long term, particularly investors as well. You know, you, you, most funds you talk to are thinking on three month cycles. Well, so it, it's just not a, it, it doesn't work for um, uh, strategically for a country or a nation. Uh, so yeah, we've got some serious challenges there. I don't know what the answer is. No clue. Yeah. Any insights, TG? No, but Craig made a great point about investor time horizon that has shrunk up dramatically in the last several years, judging by, you know, the clients that I speak to. I think it has a lot to do with interest rate curve being buried at minus 100 basis points. I'm talking about twos, tens, treasuries, you know, traded to historic lows. What that generally means for a trader is that you're going to get snowballs coming through the window when you wake up in the morning, right? You're going to get bad news data. You're going to get markets that aren't trending. You're going to get a lot of choppy activity. You're going to get markets that pay you to take profits on your winners and not pay you to stay in trends. And those are the markets that we've been left with for the last, I would call it for the Biden administration. 
Um, and so that's what we're dealing with now. But there will at one point be a rebound in the interest rate curve that is going to associate with an economic recovery that is going to create an unbelievable scenario to invest in stocks and I think hard assets too. Because um, I do believe with these guys that like, you know, I feel like I've seen there's a lot of headlines with the green movement really coming after Australian mining capacity and things like that. And I just think about it from 30,000 feet up. It's like, man, they're like the world supplier of, you know, industrial metal and things like that. And if they're going to be loyal to the WEF and, and really cut back on their mining capacity, I mean, that makes it bullish for the price and hopefully bullish for the other miners around the world. That's how I'm looking at it. Um, we've got about 12 minutes left. If anybody has any questions for either of these, or, or, go ahead. Um, so if we look at valuations, Australian uh, company miners continue to be valued at higher levels than North American companies. I'm wondering if there's any thoughts as to why and what might uh, cause uh, sort of a, be the catalyst for the reversion to North American valuations being higher. Thank you. Go ahead, Greg. Uh, great question, Pavan. Um, yeah, it's something that we that sort of uh, we spend a hell of a lot of time thinking about because it's a pretty painful up in Canada at the moment. Um, I, I think, firstly, um, interestingly enough, Canada do, does have. I, I remember with my business partners at Tigers Realm back uh, after we left uh, Rio Tinto and Oxiana. Uh, Canada was doing so much better in markets than than the Aussie markets, so that that was confusing. So we're always thinking about okay, let's list our companies up here. Now we're thinking about let's list our you know we've got a fantastic exploration business called um, Targa uh, Exploration in the lithium space, where we're thinking we must dual list down in Australia. Now I think things will balance out over time. Of course, I think you know Canada is is the great conduit when you do get a mining boom or real interest return from generalist funds. It comes through Canada not Australia or London. So that, that will help. Um, you know, the great thing about Canada is, is for exploration in the country, you have um, flow-through tax credits. So that's great. So that ke- keeps the lights on for a lot of us. Um, in Australia, though, they have the advantage down there that, uh, you, you know, I've still got a superannuation fund there. You're obliged to pay 10% of your, your, your income into a super fund. So it's created this huge pool, a trillion-dollar pool of capital, and some of that gets allocated to the natural resources sector. So that's a natural advantage that Australia has, is that pool of risk capital has grown to something massive and probably bigger than Canada's at the moment. The other thing in Australia that, that you... Um, you know, this is a fundamental difference, I think, and a lot of been, people have been telling me this recently, is that if you look at the Canadian market, particularly Vancouver, everyone who goes out and explores has generally the intention to sell the project. So there's a sort of natural cap there. You're not going to capture the full uh, part of the value cycle of a mining and exploration and mining project, whereas Aussie... Aussies tend to be more um, developer-focused and will go and build those projects. Um, I think, you know, we've got Brent Cook in the back of the room and I read an article or a presentation he'd done at IMARC last year, which I thought was fabulous, talking about... um, The other thing is that so many Canadian companies are all about mining the markets. If we could get rid of that, that would be a fantastic outcome as well. Um, Aussie, uh, for whatever reason, and perhaps it's regulatory-related, Australia doesn't have such a big problem. Their companies are actually real and, and about exploring and building projects. So I, I don't know whether that answers the question, question Trevor and Paven, but, um, yeah, I think uh, I think things will balance out and money will come back to Canada in the not-too-distant future. 
just a short compliment to that. Something that I've noticed uh, amongst money managers that have their you know allocation of their fund into metals. Essentially, that's always a very global allocation. And their idea is to get their hands on the sort of necessary iron ore and coal miners first, you know what I mean? And then move on to, okay, let's see how much precious metals we want, but our mining allocation is for things like that. So that's, I think, potentially why there may be some higher valuations in Australia. Any other questions out there? This is your opportunity, guys. You never know. Uh, we just okay. So if, if you do have a question, just do raise your hand. We got. We're going to try to get out here a little bit early so Craig can get a sip of water and get back on stage next door. Um, the, the, Craig, I, I've been really interested. You mentioned your concern that well, maybe copper doesn't go to thirty when in the time frame you think it is. But it, what's been amazing is that your team and Invented Capital continue to put in a lot of work from Tasmania to Mexico to BC and yeah I guess I guess I guess the general question is what continues the drive even though the metals prices aren't rewarding you and the equity market isn't rewarding you how do you keep how do you keep your sanity in something like this right now well, I, don't, I don't know about the rest of the team but for me I've got no other option <laughs> <laughs> No, I was, I, I was thinking about this the other day. The, the, the um, you know, Walt Coles on the board of Skeener and, and Walt's a great mate of mine and, you know, he's got two companies that he deals with, maybe three. I think we've got 26 now. Twelve of them are publicly listed. Two are New York Stock Exchange listed. Why the bloody hell would you do all of that? Um, I have a personal sort of ambition that I don't really share too much, but, but I think I'm pretty good at finding ore, ore bodies and so my sort of personal global ambition is to find and hopefully provide metal to the world as best I can. That's my sort of, you know, mission statement, personal mission mission statement in a way. Um, the other thing is, you know, I was trying to th- figure out why have we done so many bloody deals over the past five or six years and half the team's in the back of the room there. Mike's just laughing. He's, you know, it, it, what I concluded is it's an addiction. Like, if you've ever made a discovery, and I've been very fortunate, I've made a few, I've been involved in a few, probably five really good discoveries. Christ, when you drill a drill hole and and you get, like, when we discovered Arrow and it comes back and there's 10 metres at 25% uranium, or the first drill hole that we drilled at at Panuco, uh, which I think was... 8 metres or 11 metres at 8 kilos silver. Holy bloody hell, it makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. There's nothing, you know, there's no other experience like it. It's better than sex. Although if you think that, you're probably doing it wrong. (laughs) Um, So it's just an addiction and and you've got to put lots of bets out there and lots of bets on the table. And sometimes they don't go so well, sometimes they do. Um, But uh, I, I just love the business. It's fabulous. You had a nice hit out of Wood Jam. Actually, I just told I told you before this. It kind of rejuvenated my interest in BC copper again. Oh, look, you've, you've got it. That's you know that's for the next talk. But um, you, you've got. I think British Columbia has the opportunity to become the next Chile. You know, gets a bad rap. People say that we've got low grade porphyry systems there, but there are some really high grade things like New Afton. You know, hundred million tons or more at one percent. Um, it's all there. It's a mining friendly jurisdiction. You've got to work hard with your First Nations partners to get things done. But but. There's probably over 40 billion tonnes of north of half a percent material sitting in the paddock up the up the road from Vancouver. And um, 
The other thing I like about that is by building projects in that province, you, you know, the regulatory regime is such that you, you're obliged to develop, deliver, you know, as, as sustainably and, and properly as you can a project. So, you know, it's the best place in the world to do it, I think. I, and, um, yep, sure, we had a great hit. I think uh, 66 metres at, at nearly a percent copper equivalent there the other day. More to come out of that project too. So if you, um, yep, yep. It looks good. Uh, Tony, uh, I will know this week is a success because I know you're a fish out of water here. I will know this week was a success when you write up some company out of this into the I'm getting bullish. The whole, getting bullish. The, the whole discovery thing is really, really getting exciting for me. Um, except the only problem I have is that I'm a, a, an oil ranger at heart, right? And that's what I think about with the market when there's the option right now. If there's one thing that's just happened is that the oil markets have separated themselves from the commodity pack. And, you know, Trevor, the whole thing that we, you know, the whole business is based on performance, right? What do you want to buy? Your job is to make money. What do you want to buy between now and December 31st, Exxon or Newmont? Right? Like, given the scenario right now, it's just... Well, given the history of Newmont lately. Exactly. exactly. Well, Newmont's the same price it was when I graduated high school. But if you talk, and I talk about, like... No, when you talk about where, you know, where the money flow is going, where you're going to go to generate performance, it's just unfortunately in some other markets right now. And the oil story is so compelling. You know what I mean? There's the, the narrative is all in front of you in the TV between MBS and Biden, et cetera, et cetera. And that is trackable, trendle, trending, evidence-based bull market investing right now. So that's all I'm saying. There's some tough competition for the metal space. But I like the discovery theme of this. I'm going to have to find some lottery tickets out there oh, man. while uh, I'm here. Uh, you're going to get business card after business card. <laughs> he didn't even sign up for one-to-one. He's going to be on the patio doing meetings for yeah. the next two days. <laughs> exactly. We've got a few for you. <laughs> I mean, Craig. All right. Uh, this was a great Great yeah. conversation. I'm so glad we could get the two of you together. I've been looking forward to it for the last couple months. Uh, I think you got three minutes, Craig, so we'll get you next door. So thanks, thanks everybody. Trevor. Thank you all. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.